Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I've got some significant heartburn going on right now about just just about everything. I mean, you know, you know all the complaints, sheltering in place, coronavirus pandemic, economic crisis, stress, eating too much, drinking too much, can't figure out what day it is, and sick and tired of Zoom meetings. I have some real heartburn going on over all of this. And I could go on, but I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. What you may not know is that three of the scriptures assigned for the lectionary reading today by the revised common lectionary all have something to say about the state of our hearts. The scriptures speak of beating hearts, wounded hearts, burning hearts. As you just heard in our gospel reading this morning, following the revelation of the pilgrim who met them on the road as that of the living, risen Christ, the Emmaus travelers speak of their hearts burning as the scriptures were interpreted for them. The second scripture for today is from the books of the Acts of the Apostles, in which Simon Peter preaches to the people of the Feast of Pentecost and effectively points to the reality that they all, all of them, religious leaders and authorities, government authorities, everyday people, by acts done and left undone, participated in the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. And the response of the people who heard Simon Peter preach was they were cut to the heart. And the third scripture assigned for today from the first letter of Peter tells us that now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, I want to tell you, this is a very different kind of heartburn than the heartburn I've been experiencing lately. It's a very different kind of heartburn than all our complaints. And I dare say, it is this new kind of heartburn is not for the faint of heart as celebrated by the poet and essayist Kathleen Norris when she writes, to believe is not a matter of the mind but a matter of the heart because what we believe is what we give our heart to. What we believe is what we give our heart to. I want to remind you that the travelers on the road to Emmaus on that first Easter afternoon were not unlike we are today. They had been astonished by the report of the women coming back from the tomb that they had encountered 
um, angels and that they had a mystical encounter of the risen Christ. But at this point in the day, with the sun going down, the glow of those words had begun to fade. The travelers are headed home. Truth be told, the word resurrection is still just a word, a rumor, a curiosity, or as the disciples called it, an idle tale. Still, the story tells us that they were intrigued. They were so intrigued that as they walked along, they were discussing all that had happened. All that had happened, the arrest, the beatings, the trial, the, the crucifixion, the burial. They were discussing now, what does an empty tomb say? What does it mean? I mean, they, have been they may have been talking about it for hours, rehearsing all the possibilities, arguing about the details, sparring with one another about the theological nuances of the empty tomb. And perhaps, buried beneath their verbal skirmish, intimately intertwined with their skepticism is their hope. I mean, they have a need. They're skeptical. They're questioning. The glow has come off the morning reports. They're still hopeful. But the baggage of their doubt impedes the fervor of their faith, and so they fail to recognize Jesus. Now, this story, I mean, do you hear how this story could be written today? Among us? On this third Sunday of Easter, we too come with all our questions and wondering, weighed down by cynicism and stress, pretense and power. If you don't feel that, you're not watching the news. We are educated, we are sophisticated, we are postmodern Christians, and I dare say we are all well aware of the seductions of the world, right? And perhaps even on this third Sunday of Easter in the year of our Lord, 2020, we are ever so slightly skeptical of the presence of God in the world. We, like the first disciples, yearn, yearn for that presence. We yearn for something that will remind us of that presence. We yearn for the presence of God, and yet our current circumstances probably leave us asking, where is God? Where is God? How can this be happening? We, too, are preoccupied, suspicious, busy, so busy that we fail to recognize Jesus. In our objective world of fact and truth, of matter and money, the gospel world of mystery and meaning, risk and relationship with God might seem silly.
So I, I think many of you probably remember that I spend some of my time and days in two ventures. One is I find myself teaching classes at Wright Divinity School in Fort Worth or at Perkins School of Theology at SMU, sometimes both, online, Zoom meetings. I also spend time as a denominational leader working with national conference and association level boards and committees and consulting with pastors and churches around the state and country online, in Zoom meetings. <laughs> Both these opportunities have me meeting myself coming and going, but it also means that I spend a good part of my time of ministry in my head. I think about a lot of things. And the students I work with spend most of their time in their heads, debating the finer points of theology, ministry, scripture, and pastoral leadership. And the people I encounter on the various platforms of organizations I'm a part of do the same. We debate about how we can survive this downturn in the economy. How can we uh, be better ministers and preachers and churches? What are we going to do? What is the church going to look like after all this is over? We spend a lot of time thinking about things. We're very eager, I think, as people to discuss and debate the idea of God. And that's actually the risk for seminary students and church leaders is that we are so interested in discussing the things in our mind, we never get it to our heart. And I just have to wonder if that is where you are too this morning. I wonder if you're, you, like me, are so busy with all that is before you, so busy watching the news reports on the virus, the economy, the politics, the power, the worry about tomorrow, that you too have a beating heart, but not necessarily a burning heart. So that qu the question just has to be then, are we so busy rehearsing all the possibilities, arguing about the details, sparring with one another, that we missed the risen Christ in our midst? course, the living risen Christ will not leave us there any more than the Christ would leave those two travelers on the road to Emmaus where they were. And here's the best news about the gospel story this morning, the very best news about the gospel story this morning. Listen, you need to hear this. Listen carefully. When the living risen Christ comes alongside those pilgrims, they're just ordinary people. I mean, they're everyday, run-of-the-mill, ordinary people like you and me. They're not the big towering figures of the Hebrew scriptures or even the New Testament gospels or the letters. They're not the towering names and theologians. These are ordinary, everyday people going home from a feast in Jerusalem. In fact, Cleopas will never be named again in scripture. And moreover, Cleopas' companion doesn't get a name. Just ordinary people. And yet, Jesus will not leave them where they are. The, the embodiment of God comes alongside them and teaches them again what it means for the Messiah to have suffered and to be raised. And when, about the time, 
they get to their home and it appears this pilgrim is going to go on, they at least remember the law of hospitality and invite this pilgrim in. And then the guest at the table takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them. And that moment, in that moment of the breaking of the bread, they, they realize who their guest is. And then their hearts are burning. They say their hearts were burning as this pilgrim shared with them the scriptures. And so they rush back to Emmaus. The other really good news about this story is that the smallest things transform them. A word, a piece of bread, a sip of juice transform them and make them new. Listen, you and I are currently living in what Father Richard War calls a liminal space. I uh, remind you that the word liminal literally means threshold. And that's where we are. Think about the threshold of a door. When you stand in the threshold of the door, you're not in the room that you came from, nor are you in the room that you're going to. You're just in this liminal threshold space. And Father Roar will tell us that our risk is that we retreat backwards because we're afraid, or we rush ahead before, because we're afraid. And yet, that liminal space, that liminal space is where we have a chance. A chance. A chance to learn something. A chance to be made new. A chance to discover. A chance to create something new. A chance to see the new things that God is doing. Here's how Father Rohr talks to us about it. Father Rohr says, we need to be silent instead of speaking, experience emptiness instead of fullness, anonymity instead of persona, and pennilessness instead of plenty. It takes time, but this experience can help us re-enter the world with freedom and new creative approaches to life. This is the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're in a liminal space. And, and they, they could retreat and just go home. They could rush ahead and go forward. But they invite this pilgrim to sit with them at table and there they take a piece of bread and a sip of juice and encounter the risen Christ. Well, I also want to tell you that um, Angie Latimer, my friend, sent me a text with some information that I think she got from a friend of Amelia's. <laughs> and I don't know all the exact things of this, but this is how, this is what happens when we're in liminal space. The writer writes, the official lockdown for quarantine started March 23rd and will likely end sometime around May 1st. That is 40 days. 
The Latin root for the word quarantine is 40. So what does the Bible say about 40? The flood lasted 40 days. Moses spent 40 years in a flight from Egypt. 40 days Moses stayed on Mount Sinai to receive the commandments. The exodus lasted 40 years. Jesus fasted 40 days. Women were to rest 40 days after giving birth. And the optimum number of weeks of for human gestation is 40. It's clear that whenever anything mentions the number 40 in the Bible, things are changing. It is the time of preparing a person or people to make a fundamental change. That's what many theologians think. That the 40 means get ready. <laughs> we got some changes coming. And something will happen after our quarantine. So think about this. During this quarantine, rivers are cleaning up. They're clean, cleaning themselves up. Vegetation is growing. The air is becoming cleaner, less polluted. There's less theft and murder. The healing of our earth is happening. The earth is at rest for the first time in many, many years, and hearts are being transformed. Lastly, 2020 is perfect vision. Oh, and when you add 20 and 20, you get 40. Perhaps this time of quarantine, of living in liminal space, will bring spiritual healing and liberation to us. Maybe this time of living in liminal space, our hearts will catch fire, and we, like Jesus, will rise. Happy, holy heartburn to you this Easter. Amen.